My jungle will lure you in with paths that are deceptively apparent and secrets that will never be uncovered. Silver starlight may show you the way. Shape-shifting shadows will lead you astray. So open your eyes. I will show you a world etched deep in my mind. Only the greatest explorers of the unknown, those who are willing to lose themselves can unravel the enigma. For the essence of the jungle lies not in being found, but in getting lost. Welcome to Thorn's Jungle. Greetings, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Thorn's Jungle. As always, I'm your jungle guide and resident animal man, Adam Thorn. Hope you have all had a good week so far. It's getting awfully close to Christmas and everybody is insane, especially out on the roads. Oh, it, it's, it's nuts out there. I've tried to limit going to the stores and everything as much as I can, but as always, I did my Christmas shopping last minute. We do like secret Santa stuff for the family and everything, so the gifts don't, be, don't have to be so individualized. It's just sort of like a generic fun gift. Um, and, you know, that saves having to buy, like, a present for everybody in the family. So it's good. Um, I did that the other week, got everything sorted. But still, just going to, like, the grocery store, you know, to get food and everything is just chaotic. Um, and, you know, I eat a lot of meat. So... I instead of just buying enough for the whole week I normally go and pick it up like every couple of days because some days I'll you know go oh I, I feel like eating something else and then I'm stuck with like some meat and then you know I have to freeze it so yeah I definitely bought enough for the week <laughs> uh, this way because I'm not going back to them shops it's like bloody the Walking Dead, except the zombies aren't slow and they're like fast and rude. <laughs> These zombies can swear. And the car parks are just next level. I've never seen so many people forget how to drive in my life. But hey, it's nearly Christmas. People are on holidays. It's summer here. The weather's been awesome. So everybody get into the good mood you know it's it's awesome life is good uh we have like pretty much two christmases we have a christmas eve thing with my dad's side of the family so my nan and granddad and aunties and uncles and extended family on that side so we do that on christmas eve evening to night um and then christmas day we have another thing with my mum's parents and my so my grand and grandpa and uh, that side of the family so it's a busy Christmas uh, but it's awesome I love it so yeah definitely not complaining um, this episode is going to be a cool one and it's weird because I used to be obsessed with this animal and then I kind of forgot about it it kind of left my brain and then I was like wait why haven't I done an episode on this animal before. 
It's crazy. Because this was one of them cryptozoological animals that I kind of believed could exist or there's some truth behind it. And I was like, what am I going to do this week's episode on? Then I was like, what? Of course, the jungle walrus. Like, how have I not done it already? I'm like, what, 30 episodes in? And I haven't done the jungle walrus. So this episode is about a purported animal that apparently lives in Africa. And, I mean, Africa's full of cryptids. We've got the Mikele and Bembe. We've got, like, uh, the Kassai Rex, which is like a theropod T-Rex kind of animal that wanders about. Um, there's, there's heaps, right? Especially around the Congo area. That is almost like a Cretaceous period uh, place where time just forgot about, apparently. Um, but the thing is with the jungle walrus is there are not just anecdotal evidence, but almost written evidence. So we'll get into that. But anyway, enjoy what I'm going to tell you about the jungle walrus. And what I'm going to be reading from is another one of Carl Schuker's uh, blogs, because he's really good at getting into the uh, details about certain cryptozoological animals. And he actually dedicated this article to me. He knew I had an interest in the jungle walrus. So he wrote up this entire blog, this entire article, and dedicated it to me, which is really cool. I've never met Carl Sugar. Uh, he lives in the UK. But we've been Facebook friends for a long time. Um, so it's almost like we do know each other. But anyway, enjoy. It's super interesting. Now, <clears throat> it's just occurred to me, and I've heard it on other episodes I've done, this stupid, like, dinging sound. Boom, boom, boom. And I have no idea what the hell it is. I don't know what's causing it, why it's happening, but you, you would have heard it already, and I don't know what it is. So just bear with me because, yeah, I, I have no idea. If anybody listening knows what the hell that noise that happens every now and again through my podcast episodes, let me know because I hope it's not annoying is, but it certainly annoys me because I hate how technology just decides to do something that for no reason. So... Yeah. Anyway, let's get into the jungle walrus. Now we're going to start off. This is uh, what Carl Schuker wrote on his article, and he was very kind with uh, this dedication to me. Adam Thorne from Perth in Western Australia is a famous animal adventurer, jungle explorer, and co-host of History Channel's very popular Kings of Pain. He is also a long-standing Facebook friend of mine and shares my interest in mysterious, unidentified creatures, especially an extremely curious African cryptid referred colloquially as the jungle walrus, but which is little known even in cryptozoological circles, let alone beyond them. My phone's ringing for fuck. 
The jungle walrus is represented by a fascinating, if perplexing, bushman rock painting or petroglyph. A petroglyph is uh, like when the rock is carved out to form an image. Um, so it's not always painted with like ochre or anything like that. Anyway, consequently, consequently, fuck, sorry, <laughs> brain's not on today. Please allow me to present for the first time here on Shooker Nature a comprehensive survey of this and other tusk-touting aquatic anomalies that have been reported down through the ages from several different regions of sub-Saharan Africa and which also features in my newest book to be published later this year. Hoping you enjoy it, Adam, and everyone else too. How nice is that? That's cool. And if you haven't checked out Carl Shooker, check him out. He's uh, yeah, um, amazing cryptozoologist. He's got so many books out and yeah, you, you, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Many years ago, a pygmy from the Democratic Republic of the Congo's Ituri Forest identified a picture of a walrus shown to him by aptly named big game hunter John A. Hunter as a savage nocturnal beast that lived in the deepest parts of the forest. Not surprisingly, Hunter dismissed this claim of a jungle walrus as nothing more than a pygmy's desire to please him. As will be seen here, however, it may be prudent not to dismiss entirely the pygmy's claim, because a startling number of creatures, all sharing a fundamental similarity of form, lifestyle and habitat, are documented within the chronicles of cryptozoology not least of which is a certain highly enigmatic rock painting discovered at Brockfontaine, Brockfontaine Ridge in South Africa's Orange Free State. How old this native Bushman's artwork is, whether it's dated back mere hundreds or a couple of centuries or possibly significantly older remains debatable, but even more so is what it depicts. These petroglyphs uh, first attracted attention in 1930 when it was depicted in Rock Paintings in South Africa, which is a book by uh, George William Stowe and Dorothy F. Bleak. The textbook was written by anthropologist Bleak to accompany its numerous full-page illustrations that consisted of meticulous, often full-color copies of South African petroglyphs that had been prepared in 1867 and 1882 by Stowe, an English-born trader, historian, and geologist who had been passionately interested in South African native races, especially the Bushmen. His travels as a trader had taken him to many little visited South African localities containing petroglyphs, and his interest in them had led him to prepare his copies, which proved very valuable because some of the originals no longer exist and have subsequently become damaged or worn, or in the quite inaccessible sites or are in quite inaccessible sites. According to Bleak, the location of the particular petroglyph was in a cave in the Brackfontaine Ridge situated in the Orange Free State Farm named La Bella, France, that was owned back then by a Mr. Connor Swainpool, and his subject was one of several strange animals portrayed together there. As now seen, this remarkable petroglyph portrays an animal that bears a starting re startling resemblance to a walrus. From its rounded head displaying two very large downward curving tusks, 
to its elongated, tapering body and paddle-like limbs. Indeed, its only prominent difference between the latter pinniped, which is seals, uh, walruses, sea lions and things like that, is that it possesses a long tail, whereas 23 million years ago, evolution from the original terrestrial ancestors of the walrus, they lost their tails. No satisfactory mainstream zoological identification of this petroglyph-portrayed walrus look-alike has been identified, nor has any other animal equally odd depicted alongside it. So on this petroglyph, there are a few other animals. So we've got the jungle walrus, and you'll be able to tell exactly what it is from the, looking at the petroglyph. But there's also an animal that looks like a giant snake, but it almost has, like, horns on its head. Um... Now that might be fangs, you know, it's a fat bodied snake. It might be like a gaboon viper, but they just carved it a little bit weirdly. And the other two animals, I mean, one could be, you know, a whole range of things. They're like quadrupedal animals. One's got like spikes, but that could be bristly hair. And the other one just kind of looks like an antelope. But the jungle warrior stands out like a sore thumb. <laughs> like the other ones you could go okay that could be this that could be that but the jungle walrus just yeah it's very different it looks very uh more fantastical than the other animals um so we're going to skip forward uh to a bloke called Musa and he was interviewed uh, he's a tribesman. He was interviewed by Lucian Blanco, which was a former chief game inspector, which was formerly known in the formerly known French Equatorial Africa that split into Chad at some point. Um, so Musa speaks of an animal called the Muru which was somewhat larger than a lion in size. He estimated it to be about 12 feet long, with an overall body shape and palage color reminiscent of a leopard, but additionally adorned with stripes. And he says that its paw print was described as containing a circle in the middle. Now that could just be its pad, like a circular shaped pad. That might be what he's talking about there. Apparently Musa at some stage had observed one of these creatures emerging from the Kikuru River in close proximity to a soldier in a canoe. The Moru Ungu, or jungle walrus, seized the hapless man and dragged him down into the water. As a result of this incident, the detachment to which the beast's victim had belonged decided not to cross the river at that point thereafter, but instead in a new location, some considerable distance to the east. This was in 1945, so basically a soldier gets dragged out his canoe by some weird animal, and the rest of his like crew are like, okay, we are not crossing here. <laughs> We're going to find another spot because fuck that. A native gum bearer called Mitakata drew a sketch of the Morungu or jungle walrus, which showed a small headed, large fanged creature about eight feet long with a plump, uniformly brown colored body and panther like tail. Intriguingly, the banda which is the uh, name of the tribe, also used the name Moruungu to signify a very different known species, Central Africa's giant otter shrew. Okay, so there's a shrew, which is 
the giant otter shrew and they use a similar name that they use for the jungle warriors to call this shrew but the vast difference between these two animals uh, kind of makes it improbable that they're talking about the same animal here I mean the uh, giant otter shrew only grows to like a foot long and has a shorter tail so that compared to something that's 12 feet long and you know has massive tusks they're probably not talking about the same thing here you're right so during december 1994 belgian cryptozoologist eric joy led a two-man expedition dubbed operation maru ngu or operation jungle walrus in search of this elusive creature although they failed to spy it themselves joy and his teammate hunting guide willie blom succeeded in gathering some very interesting anecdotal evidence probably the most extensive obtained since the material collected here during the 1930s which was the petroglyph and um that what that other bloke was describing the animal as so before then there was no real uh documented depictions of this animal claiming to have narrowly avoided being propelled into the Baming Bamingui River by such an animal as he sat fishing at the river's edge one afternoon in February. A native guide called Marcel told Joy that the jungle walrus hunts in pairs. One waiting in the river to seize any prey chased into the water by the other. According to Marcel, the jungle walrus compared with a leopard in shape and size and its coat was... Um, dappled with a blue and white spots that are very different upon its back and less defined upon its flanks so it sort of fades uh, when it goes down the side of the animal it has a long tail hairier than a leopard's and its head is said to be a little like that of a civet um, a civet is like kind of cat-like but their face is more I guess weasel-like its teeth are very large and resemble those of a big cat, such as a leopard or lion. Marcel followed the jungle walrus's trail, which was like a leopard's, but bigger. Also, when it runs, it leaves behind the impression of claws, which is not unusual for a leopard. It is kind of unusual for a leopard to leave claw marks. Um, depends the substrate it's running on, but leopards tend to have... Well, they have retracted claws, so for their claws to leave an impression... I guess when they run, their claws do come out for grip and things like that, but they try not to do that too much because it just bluntens their claws. But anyway, a second so-called water leopard... So that's another name, for also what they call it, is water leopard, which is pretty interesting. A second so-called water leopard is the Zemindim, spoken by the natives of the... Nvele district in Yoande in Cameroon and documented in a book called Gorillas Were My Neighbour written in 1956 by Fred G. Murfield and Harry Miller. The locals claimed it was a type of leopard that lived in small rivers and frequently carried off women and children. After several failed attempts to spot, to spot this dangerous mystery beast, 
One of his book's authors believed that he'd finally achieved success. So we're talking about like different countries in Africa are reporting very similar animals that live in the waterways there. And in this book in 1956, this bloke heard stories of it and may have even spotted one. And this is his account. One morning, just as it was getting light, an animal swam rapidly upstream and landed on the opposite bank. The light was poor and all I could see was something furry, spotted and four-legged. So I fired. The animal spun around and dived back into the water. I thought it was lost, but when the sun rose and my men turned up, we found it dead and washed ashore a few hundred yards downstream. It was a big dog otter, a very old fellow whose fur had gone grey and blotchy, giving the appearance of spots. The natives would not admit that this was their water leopard, and having no more time to spare, I gave up and went home. So this bloke basically shot an otter. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know what to think of that. That's like, if you really shot something that was is, is what they describe as the jungle warriors, you would know. You wouldn't be, hmm, is that an otter or is that a 12-foot-long, saber-toothed, bloody water leopard? Okay. This uh, next depiction um, are from native African tribes indigenous to South Sudan. And a professor in anthropology, Professor E.E. E. Evans, noted that this is pretty much how the indigenous people of that area describe the jungle walrus or as they call the jungle leopard they say the water leopard is a powerful kind of beast dark and with a blackish skin and a head of hairy shagginess down to the neck its pads are very large and its palms hairless like those of man it has powerful teeth in its mouth it seizes a person as does a crocodile and appears in places of deep water its eyes are very large and red, like the seeds of a nzu vegetable, which is like a tomato. It lives in holes as crocodiles do, but where it resides there in water as many fish near it. It lives in holes as crocodiles do, but where it resides there is water and many fish near it. This water never dries up, for it is its home. Ugh, the way they talk back then, it's like, far out. So basically, it lives in a hole near the water, permanent water sources. That's what he's trying to say. That's what he should have said. Goodness. So it's pretty interesting that there are a lot of indigenous tribes in different countries that are all describing similar things. Um, now, I'm going to read to you the best description that I've heard and the best account from a Westerner uh, that actually witnessed... Uh, well, apparently witnessed this animal, apparently shot at this animal. Um, it goes back to a book from 1905 uh, by a hunter, and this book is called Elephants and Ivory, True Tales of Hunting and Adventure. So you know the guy's a good dude, right? You know, straight off the bat, out there shooting elephants. The, the book is titled Elephants and Ivory. I mean, so, yeah. I slid down the bank and got in the cover of the bushes. There it was. It was midstream, about 30 feet from me. 
a beast fish, a creature from your nightmare. It was 15 to 18 feet in length with a massive head. Not a head like a crocodile's, but flat-skulled and round. It had two yellow fangs dropping from its upper jaw, and its back was as broad as a hippo's, but it was scaled in beautifully overlapping plates as smooth as an intricate as those I've seen in an old Arabian thing. I can't pronounce that. The sunlight fell on those wet scales, and it was dappled by the leaves, and made them seem as brilliantly coloured as a leopard's coat. It had something of every animal in it. It was impossible. There was a broad tail, and this was swinging gently against the current, keeping it midstream, keeping it stationary, whatever it was. At last, I took aim on it. I aimed the gun at the back of its neck and gave it one solid round. I saw the bullet hit and heard it hit the way you do a short range, at short range. The beast turned in a great flurry of yellow water running until it was facing the bank and my cover. I'm sorry if I'm reading this badly, but it's badly written. I'm sure at the time it was written really well, but it just doesn't make sense reading it today. It's just... Yeah, I mean, we've bastardized the English language so much, but yeah, it, it's difficult to read when it's like this, written out like this. So this isn't Carl Shooker's writing. This is the other dude's writing. It's just in uh, Carl's blog. So it's nothing to do with Carl's writing. Uh, his is perfect. It's pale belly scales, vivid, 10 or 12 feet on end. Jordan and his native helpers then fled through the forest. Jordan was this guy's helper, by the way, for 300 yards before halting. But after the time they cautiously returned to the river, it had gone, but its spore was well all over the soft mud and huge prints about the size of a hippo's but clawed. So they go back after this bloke shot the thing and it's gone. But you can see evidence of where it came out of the water and disturbed the mud. Some Warner bro told me that they know about this thing, and it's called the Dingo Neck. The Kivorondo Kivor, knew it too. They had seen more than one of them, and made a god out of whom they called Laquata. So they kind of worshipped this thing as a god. They were worried when they heard that a white man had shot the Laquanda. They said that now... They would all die of sleeping sickness. And it is true that there was an epidemic of it among the Kvarondo that year. So this bloke has shot the jungle walrus. And another name for it is the dingo neck. Especially in sort of southern Africa, they know it more as dingo neck uh, rather than jungle, jungle walrus. But again, there are so many countries and tribes and indigenous uh, communities throughout Africa, they all have a different word for the same animal. And most of them words equate to like water lion or water leopard. Um, so this guy's just cursed him and everybody with a uh, jungle sickness after shooting this animal. Um, so yeah, that was probably the most uh, perplexing and best sort of eyewitness account from a westerner of the jungle walrus this guy saw it he shot it but again 
how reliable are these uh, are these testimonies? You know, we know that indigenous people do sometimes blend folklore with like realism, if that makes sense. So to them, there's no difference between like mythical, spiritual things and the real world. It is all real to them. Uh, and we know white game hunters do elaborate a lot. But it was pretty pretty elaborate the way he described this thing. And it is you know, a bit too coincidental that so many tribes depict this one animal and they are so similar. And if you Google and look at images, dingo neck or jungle walrus, you'll see the images of it. And it's like, it's such a weird looking animal. Sometimes it's described as being like armored, like a pangolin or an armadillo, but with leopard spots, leopard rosettes. Um, but it's aquatic. It does come on land as well, like, like hippos do. Um, it's just a very weird animal. And I, I tend to take things with a grain of salt when it comes to stories like this. But just the fact that we have quite a bit of evidence. Um, animals like the Mikele Mbembe, which is a long-necked dinosaur that lives in the Congo, in the swamps up there, there's no petroglyphs of it, there's no cave paintings of it. All we have is descriptions from the local tribes up there. And again, they have described Mikele Mbembe as looking, yes, like a sauropod dinosaur, a long-necked dinosaur, but also as looking like a rhinoceros and things like that. So their descriptions change a lot of the Mikele Mbembe. With the jungle walrus, they're pretty damn consistent. And we have a petroglyph. It could be hundreds of years old. It could be thousands of years old. We also have a witness report from a white game hunter on top of that as well. So... If we take all of that together, the descriptions from different indigenous tribes, the game hunter's description, and the petroglyph, and you can look at this petroglyph, it's one of the first things that comes up when you Google dingo neck or jungle walrus. We have a pretty reliable evidence base there. Okay, and it's it's far more than um, other cryptozoological animals you know, where we just have anecdotal evidence and witness testimony changes on descriptions. So the jungle walrus is one of them animals where I think there's a lot more potential than other cryptids that it does exist. And it's very rare that I say that about cryptids, that, you know, it might have some truth to it. Whether or not they're misidentifying crocodiles, I mean, if you look at Nile crocodiles and even you know, like saltwater crocodiles and stuff, uh, you look at their tails, they a lot of times have like these yellow rosettes on them and up their flanks as well, which can look rather leopard-like. But they were adamant when describing this animal that it, it didn't have a crocodile head, it had a more blunt head like a leopard's. Um, so who knows? And those two tusks at the front of its face, like, that's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty consistent description of it as well. We know crocodiles don't have that. So who knows? I think there might be something to this jungle walrus, to this dingo ne neck, to this 
water leopard, this water lion. And it's just hard because with cryptids, a lot of times they're like, okay, this is the exact spot where it's found. Like with, with Michele in, in Bembe, it's found in Lake Tele and a few surrounding lakes. But with the jungle walrus, there's it's spotted in so many different countries and that makes it hard because it's like, where do you start? And as well, if it was found in all these different countries, wouldn't we have discovered it by now? You know, at least with Michele and Bembe, it's found in a very isolated lake and swamp area that's very difficult to get to. Places like South Africa and, you know, that's been explored quite a lot. So, who knows? I'm 50-50 with it. But how cool is it? Just the name, Jungle Walrus. How sick is that? That's awesome. And that's why, like, when I first heard about the Jungle Walrus, I was like, I've, I've got to look into this more because I, I just assumed it was a type of walrus that had made its way upriver and established a freshwater population in a warm tropical area. Like, which is, it wouldn't happen because walruses live in very cold environments in the North Pole. They just wouldn't make it to that part of Africa. But maybe a population did during the last ice age and got isolated there and speciated and so forth. But this description doesn't describe a pinniped at all. This, the only thing that sort of makes it similar to a walrus are those two tufts. But hey, saber-toothed tigers had two large teeth uh, canine teeth, so I think because it's aquatic and it has those large saber-like teeth, they say it's a jungle walrus, but the way I'm seeing it, it's almost like a more aquatic version of a jaguar, but with a thicker tail and larger canine teeth. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and yeah, I want to thank Carl Sugar for those blogs. I mean, man, I botched reading them because it's very hard for me to read something in somebody else's uh, you know, way of writing somebody else's mind I'm reading and, and especially back then I'm like what the hell are these guys talking about so I did my best and uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you learned that there is potentially a weird sort of animal that lives in the Congo called the jungle walrus alright now, if you haven't already, please subscribe either on Spotify, whatever podcast app. Give me a rating. Uh, rating. I was, Australians are very lazy with the way they talk. Give me a rating. That's, that's how we talk. A rating. And if you haven't already, buy a pouch. They're on sale right now. Go to the website or go to my Instagram. You'll see the shop. Buy one. I've got a few left. So uh, hurry, you won't get it before Christmas, but hey, you still, you, there's no real right or wrong time to have a pouch, you know? Get it whenever you want. These pouches are uh, versatile in both what they can do, where you can wear them, and when you can buy them. Nobody cares, just buy one. All right, this will be my last episode uh, before Christmas, so everybody have an awesome Christmas if you celebrate it. If not, have awesome holidays. Be happy, and I will see you next week on another episode of Thorn's Jungle. Okay, so I'm adding this post-edit, right?
I think I might have uh, figured out what that bloody sound's coming from. On my mic stand, it's attached to my chair. Every time I move, the microphone moves slightly and there's springs all up it. So I don't know if you can hear that. That might be the dinging. That might be what's causing it. So I'm going to attach the microphone to a sturdier thing like a table because as I talk, I move my hands a lot. The microphone moves. That's probably what's making that bloody sound. So hopefully next episode, you won't hear it. Peace out, everyone.